Joining us now to discuss Alliance Bernstein's Gershon Distenfeld in just a moment, Jim Bianco of Bianco Research joining us as well. And Mike McKee's going to break down the data for us from 30 minutes ago. Gershon, first to you. Retail sales showing some resilience. We've had a week of downside surprises on the inflationary side of things. Do you subscribe to this theory that a soft landing is just around a corner? Uh, I'm not even sure what a soft landing means, but I think your point, John, is the consumer has been very resilient here. And, you know, maybe the Fed's performing a Houdini act here and maybe they're going to get it exactly right. But markets seem to be a lot more nervous about that. And I think we're more nervous about that also. You know, whatever you how you define a soft landing. Uh, there's, you know, a month ago we were sitting here feeling a lot less confident about that. Now all of a sudden we're confident. I think we take these short-term numbers that we see in the marketplace way too seriously. We got to look for prolonged period of stability or, or keep on seeing inflation pressures abate while seeing unemployment stay low and the consumer stay strong. We see that for a few months in a row, we'll start to get more confident that the Fed here has orchestrated what people are calling a soft landing. Gershon, listen to the happy talk of the last 24 hours. Jan Hatzius over at Goldman cutting the probability of a U.S. recession from 25% to 20%, saying the main reason for their cut is that the recent data have reinforced their confidence that bringing inflation down to an acceptable level will not require a recession. Even the likes of Marco Kalanovic over at JP Morgan saying the downside CPI surprise means a narrow path to a soft landing is modestly wider. I've heard something similar from the likes of Seth Carpenter over at Morgan Stanley. But let's be clear, there's some pushback out there, including City, Andrew Hollenhorst, Veronica Clark. Soft landing optimism is premature. I wonder where you stand on this one, Gershon. This full quote from Andrew Hollenhorst, let me share it with you. Tight labor markets, elevated wages, upside risk to shelter and other services inflation means we don't share this optimism. Absent a tightening of financial conditions, inflation may reaccelerate in early 24. Gershon, I don't know about you, but I struggle with late summer, never mind early 24. Where are you on that? I, I think we have to, again, we've seen one month, essentially, of, of easing pressures. We need to see more of that. And the reality is that you know, we've seen a tremendous amount of tightening of financial conditions. There's a lag on that. We know that. If you remember, the Fed only got to kind of 3%, which we would consider neutral, about nine months ago. And, you know, most people think monetary policy works with a six to 12 month lag. You know, we have to see. One thing I do think that, you know, whatever happens in the short term inflation, there, there are secular reasons having nothing to do with kind of the cyclicality we've seen over the past few years, having, uh, which will make it very difficult for the Fed to get inflation down close to a 2% target. And that's just the two global trends that we've seen. One is the rise of populism. I'm not here to make a political statement whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. There are people on both sides. One thing it is, is inflationary. And the second thing is uh, kind of what we call deglobalization. You know, people like to, to blame former President Trump, which he was certainly guilty of. But there was a trend well before Trump of countries really, you know, restricting trade, uh, bringing things closer to their borders. That, too, is inflationary. So I question whether we're really going to get on a secular basis back anywhere close to the 2 percent level. The final point I'll make, John, sorry for, for uh, blabbing on no, here. No, please continue. <laughs> Final I make is I think you know we got to talk about real rates. You know, there's been so much focus on inflation, which is is understandable. It's been the key topic for the past couple of years. But we've seen real rates rise quite a bit after being at zero or negative for quite some time. So it's not clear to me that even if inflation comes down a tremendous amount, we're supposed to have materially lower rates.
Let's bring Jim Bianco into the conversation of Bianco Research. Jim, you've been making the argument that inflation is bottoming. Bottoming. Now, I want to be very clear on that. You believe that the disinflation over the last few months will prove to be transitory. Jim, it's some real pushback to the happy talk of the last week or so. Can you give us some detail on what backs that up? Yeah, a couple of things. I think, first of all, that there's a base effect coming. Uh, you know, we talked about that big a year ago when we hit 9%. Well, this is the flip side of it, that we hit 3% on the year-over-year -year basis. August of last year, uh, excuse me, July of last year's inflation rate was zero. August was 0.2. Those could be easy to jump over. So the year-over-year -year inflation numbers should probably trend higher unless you tell me the price of gasoline or crude oil is about to take a serious dive, which I don't think it is. Beyond that, I want to agree with what Gersten was saying, that we did something extraordinary three years ago. We shut down the global economy and restarted it. Even a week before we did it, we didn't conceive of that even being possible. We're going to be spending the rest of our lifetime trying to understand the ramifications of that. And that's going to lead to persistently higher inflation for many years, not 10, 12, 15 percent inflation, but more like three or four percent inflation. And if we were to see a world of, of real rates returning positive, we could see higher. So, yeah, I think three percent, maybe high twos. It's about all we can ask for in inflation right now over this cycle. And I wouldn't be surprised if it starts trending higher and then you throw in positive rates. And we're not quite done with this cycle yet when it comes to inflation. Well, Jim, are we not quite done with rates either? Do you think more hikes are coming than some people think? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, the, for July, it's almost 100 percent priced in that we're going to have a hike next week. Uh, the Fed has promised two more hikes. I think that as we see the inflation rate move higher, as we see talk that there's not going to be a soft landing, which would increase the idea that there'd be a push on inflation, that second hike will come in. And I wouldn't even be surprised if, we're, if we see more hikes beyond that. This cycle's always been about people underestimating the Fed. We've been underestimating the Fed for 18 months. It's very hard to overestimate the Fed. So when I say three hikes, I know everybody goes, wow, three hikes. But that's kind of the way this cycle has been for the last year and a half. So, Jim, what's the pushback to this? This came from Capital Economics about 10 minutes ago. Let me share the quote with you. Excess savings are all but eliminated. The impact of higher rates and tighter credit conditions are gradually feeding through. Student loan repayments are scheduled to resume. We would argue, they would argue, consumption growth will continue to underwhelm in the second half of this year. What would you say to that? I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that while you could get positive growth, it would be very um, tepid at that point. But I'll come back to what I said earlier. This is a different economy. It is a post-pandemic economy. And we are still trying to understand work from home, the deglobalization that Gersten mentioned, the politics that we've seen around the world. All of this is feeding into a much different economy than the models told you it would be if you were using a 2019 axis on it. 22 minutes away from the open and bell equity futures right now, negative 0.1% on the S&P. If you are just tuning in, welcome to the program. Retail sales in America around about 38 minutes ago. Mike McKee working through this. Mike, the data, we got a drip feed of it. Control group, actually not that bad. Yeah, it was kind of interesting to see the reaction in the markets. You look at the two-year yield that came out and immediately fell because, oh, we had worse than expected numbers. But then everybody looked at the prior month revised up big and said, oh, well, maybe things are better. And now we're kind of, oh, we're about where we thought we would be, which is a healthy pace of growth, not as fast as it was. But uh, June at two-tenths for the headline number, but the May number revised up almost 
doubled to uh, half a percent. And as you mentioned, John, the retail control group, very strong, six-tenths, and the May number revised up from two-tenths to three-tenths. And that's the part that goes into GDP, so that's the part that economists are focusing on this morning. Does this continue? That's the question the Fed's going to have to answer. And there's a pretty good chance it could, because if you look at spending, uh, consumers are now on an average hourly earnings basis adjusted for inflation, finally getting ahead of inflation. So they've got some money to spend, and businesses are also investing, and we're starting to see a lot of structural spending. So at this point, it looks like the economy doesn't have a particular reason to slow down, even if the Fed raises rates one more time. Now the question is, do consumers continue to spend the way they have been? Do businesses continue to spend the way they have been? Or is there something that will push them back? And so far, we really haven't found it. Interesting shift in spending this last month, John, because we saw 1.9% increase in the online sales category and a 2.4% decline for department stores. People shifting to online, even though Prime Day was this month. So that's kind of an interesting move. Uh, most of the notes I've gotten, by the way, say uh, people are maybe lifting their second quarter GDP forecasts out of today's numbers. Mike, we're talking about consumption. Let's talk about credit that underpins some of that consumption. There was a release yesterday from the Federal Reserve Survey that's done, I believe, every few months. This is the latest edition of their survey, published every four months to be precise. It read like this. The rejection rate for loan applicants jumped to 21.8 percent. Just sharing the numbers now in the 12 months through June. That's the highest level in five years. They also said the overall credit applications declined to the lowest level since October 2020. Mike, I've asked a couple of people the same question. I'd love your response to it. How do you read that survey from the Federal Reserve? What is that telling us? Well, it's definitely telling us that people are not going to be able to charge up as much or borrow as much as they had previously. Do they need to do that? Do they want to do that? Uh, have they bought enough stuff at the moment? And are we going to settle into a, a, a lower level of spending? But it's not unexpected with the Fed raising rates the way it has. Uh, banks are getting tighter on credit. And so we're seeing people uh, get rejected more often. And uh, probably a lot of people don't want to pay the higher rates that uh, you're getting these days. So maybe that talk uh, gives you some reason why we're seeing a decline in applications. Mike McKee, thank you, sir. On the latest data in America, yields a little bit lower. We're down four basis points, 3.77 on a 10-year. On a two-year, yields down three basis points to about 4.71. Gershon, the gains have been in the equity market in a major way mm -hmm. so far this year. The S&P's up like 18% year-to-date. The Nasdaq's up something like 36. The Nasdaq 100 up even more. Gershon, I was reading your notes. This line here, avoiding bonds could be a costly mistake. Gershon, can you give me a bit more detail? What's the message there? Well, the message there is that bonds are much more mathematical asset class than, than others. And the reality is, even though we may have elevated rates for a long time, the starting point matters. And the starting point is much higher. Certainly, the short end of the curve looks very attractive. In the long end of the curve, I think, again, as I mentioned before, and as Jim really highlighted very, very well, you know, everyone's been behind what the Fed is going to do for a long time. So this idea that um, we're going to have continued volatility in the short end is not necessarily the case. So, you know, we think that bonds are 
bonds are back, so to speak. And, you know, I'm not making a prediction over the next couple of months, but, you know, it, what happened last year, not that we thought it was going to be as bad, but when you started with a 10-year under, you know, 1.5%, you almost couldn't get very strong returns. We're at yields now across the spectrum going out even into corporates, emerging market debt, and, and other parts of fixed income, where the total return you're going to see, or the potential at least, is a lot higher than it's been for most of the past decade. So, Gershon, help me understand, if you're in cash at the moment, are you taking additional credit risks? Should you take on duration risk? And starting point does matter, to your point. So let's say we're starting right now, not six months ago, but starting right now. And I'm looking at spreads that are near the tights of the year. What's your advice to people right now? Well, look, I, I think we're certainly not, people seem to be very, very bearish on credit. We're certainly not pound the table bullish, but to the, the theme again, starting point matters. Companies are in much better shape. Uh, so I think there is room to take credit risk, but you have to have a longer term view on it. One thing I think is interesting, John, is that you know people are talking about if we go into a cycle, whether even if it's a soft landing, or certainly if it's something harsher than that, we're gonna end up having a lot more defaults. I think the default rate is gonna tick up regardless because there again, there's it's not so much a cyclical stuff. You look at the last two default cycles, and just energy itself was over 50% of the defaults. It was mostly the cyclical companies. That's unlikely to happen this time. What's happened is that private equity firms for the past decade, after the global financial crisis, they've really gotten, they, they have not wanted to lever up the cyclical companies. They've gone more for the safe type spaces, you know, healthcare, technology, cable. But there's secular pressures there, and there's a lot of leverage there. So it's not as susceptible to the, you know, ups and downs of the in-the-moment cyclical cycle. But we are expecting to see the faults tick up. Um, but some of that is really priced in already. So do I think you're going to get some of it all? Do I think you're going to get great returns going out to credit? Probably not. But you're also unlikely to get kind of disastrous returns that some people are predicting. Jim Bianco, you're on the other side of the popular debate right now. You know the popular narrative, soft landing, soft landing, soft landing. We've talked about it consistently over the last week or so. Jim, you're pushing back against that, but I wonder if the trade you'd put on right now in the equity market is any different to the popular one, the consensus trade. If you're right, the inflation continues to be a problem through this year and maybe beyond. If Andrew Hollenhorst is right over a city that it reaccelerates in early 2024. In the words of Mohammed Alerin last Friday, is this soft landing narrative something you want to fight? He says it's not. Jim, is it? Yeah, I, I would agree with uh, Alarian. I think, you know, let's break down the stock market real quick. Yes, the, the S&P is up 18% this year, but 493 of those stocks collectively are less than 4% of that gain, and seven of those stocks are about 14% of that gain. What does that tell me? That tells me that the broad narrative of the market is more consistent with this idea of a struggling below average economy that might even face some more headwinds like inflation. The vast majority of stocks are not really doing a whole lot. Yes, the NVIDIAs, the Apples, the Microsofts uh, of the world are powering higher, the Googles of the world are powering this market higher. But those aren't really, I don't think, representative of the broad swath of the economy like the other 493. So if you were to talk about the idea that there could be a soft landing, and but that really to me says be below growth, uh, below trend growth, and that's I think what we're seeing out of the stock market, at least the vast majority of it. Jim Bianco of Bianco Research, Gerson Distant Found of Alliance Bernstein. Gents, it's been too long. It's fantastic to catch up to break down these markets and talk about this data. More data in America this time.